This is the New Song Church podcast. You're listening to a service from our church in Oklahoma City. Wherever you're at today, we hope this helps you to better know God and to practice the way of Jesus. Now here's the message. Y'all doing good on this chilly Sunday? Man, it got cold last night. It's good to be here. It's warm in here though, so... We packed it out. It's warm in here. It's good to see you guys. Hey, can we make some noise for our people joining online with us this weekend? If it's your first time at New Song Church uh, and you haven't met me yet, my name is Jackson Wilson. I'm a lowercase p pastor here. Um, our uppercase p pastors are not here right now. Um, pastor Josh, Sarah, and David Terry are actually on their way back. They were in New York City for a church conference. So man, just be praying that they come back filled up and pray for protection over them as they travel. Amen, church. But if it's your first time, I want to welcome you to New Song. You're in a special place. Don't dart out the house after service. Make sure you come by and meet some of us. Uh, We would love to put some stuff in your hands as you leave today. But hey, before we get into this word, and like Katie said, I do have a fire word for you. I hope you're ready. Um, And it's long, so I hope you're ready for that too. But it's gonna be good. but man, uh, if you walked into the lobby, you may have noticed the like army of round tables in the lobby, and you're like, what's going on here? Uh, it is our group's rally weekend. Now, what does that mean for you? Well, at New Song Church, we have four pursuits that kind of ground us in everything that we do. Uh, we pursue the presence of God. Amen, right? Uh, we pursue transformational discipleship. Amen. We, produce, or we, uh, we pursue sacrificial mission, but finally... Something that we believe in is a kingdom community. It's something we pursue. And that means that new song, we want it to be more than just something you go to on the weekends. We want new song, your, your biblical community, to be a, a place that you live in, like all week long. And this is what we believe in. And so uh, understanding the fact that church is more than just a place that I go to and a place I tithe to, but it's a, it's a family that I belong to. With that being said, man, we put on group rally because we know that if you're here today and you lack kingdom community, you hear what I'm talking about and you're like, yeah, I'm not plugged into a church community, like really plugged in and planted. This is the weekend for you. So directly after service, um, I would encourage you to go around to those tables, make sure you meet some people. Those are all groups that are available right now for you to join. You can look around and see maybe what interests you, what, what group of people is gonna fit your season of life, your family, whatever it looks like for you. And then also, we are in need of group hosts right now, big time, because this is crazy. But our church last year grew 40%, y'all. 40%. That's amazing. And because of that growth, we have a need for group hosts. So if you're here and you don't go to a group, uh, but you'd be interested in hosting a group, there is a need. We need you. So if that's something that you're interested in, man, we, we need it for all different ages, and walks of life, people who are parents with students, we need groups for that. We need kids or parents with young kids. We need groups for college age students. Wherever you find yourself, if this is something that you're interested in, I'd encourage you to check that out because I almost forgot. We had planted service last weekend and we added 22 new people to the family. Check out this photo of this amazing group of people. You can make some noise for them. So what I hope you're seeing that is we are a part of a healthy, producing, growing family. And so if, if you're interested in getting into a group this weekend or starting to host a group, we haven't, we've made it as easy as possible. This is your time to step up and to do that. 
But with all that being said, enough announcements. Who's ready for the word today? Get, get out whatever you need. If you want to take notes, follow along with me. We're continuing our series that we've been, on, been in called School of the Spirit. This is week number five. It's crazy. It's been flying by. And if you're just now joining us for this series, it is all about the third person of the Trinity. Pop quiz. Who is the third person of the Trinity? The Holy Spirit. That's right. Uh, contrary to popular belief, the Trinity is not God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible. And please hear me. We believe in the Holy Bible. Like, absolute truth, objective truth for every single person on this planet, we believe in the Bible. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Amen? Amen. But the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God come to live in human hearts. That's amazing. And that's what this series is about. Because the reality is, in, in some church cultures and contexts, the Holy Spirit is either avoided because of fear. We think he's going to like possess people, so we avoid him. Or the Holy Spirit is, is portrayed as crazy. And people misunderstand how to function and partner with the Holy Spirit. And so for a lot of different reasons, the Holy Spirit is kind of pushed aside or either looked at weirdly. But at New Song Church, I can't speak for every church, but I can speak for New Song. And I want you to know, we want the Holy Spirit here. We want the Holy Spirit here. We want the power of the Holy Spirit to rest on every single person, every single home, represented here. Every single thing we do in this room, we don't want to do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. So we believe in the Holy Spirit, and we believe that we are called as believers to partner with the Holy Spirit in everything we do. And that's why we're doing this series, because we don't want to just know about him uh, and partner with him, but we also want good theology. We want to understand what it means for us as believers to partner with the Spirit of God. And so It's been an amazing series. I hope you've been taking some good notes. In week one, Pastor Josh talked about power and practices. Do you remember that? We want power. We want the power, but we also want the discipleship, the transformation from us needed to walk with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the personhood of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is not the force in Star Wars. Like he's not just in trees and in nature and like you can tap into this energy. No, he's a person who you can relate to. We've also talked about how Pastor Sarah mentioned we're called to be clothed with power from on high. And then finally, last week, Pastor Josh uh, preached about being led by the Holy Spirit. It's been amazing. And if you're here today, and just a heads up, and you weren't at last week's message, um, I hate to bring some bad news to you, but you have homework to do this week. You need to go back and listen to that message for two reasons. Number one, it was really good. And if you were there, you know, it was an amazing message on practically how to be led by the Holy Spirit. But number two, you need to go back and listen to it because my message today is a continuation. It's a part two of his message last week. And heads up to my uh, new song students in the room. Make some noise for my new song students. Um, Heads up to you guys or my leaders. If you're here today and you serve on my team, this message is going to sound very familiar to you because I just preached it to you guys a week and a half ago. But I'm not preaching it today because I wanted to like have an easy week of writing. I wasn't trying to like be lazy. Actually, what happened was I preached this message on a Wednesday night, uh, almost two weeks ago. And then Thursday, 
Um, I came in for midday prayer. It was our last midday prayer of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I come in and after prayer, Pastor Josh came up to me and he was like, dude, I heard your message last night on the podcast and I want you to preach it to the church in two weeks. And I was like, yes, sir. So this is me being obedient uh, to my pastor. But I want you to know, man, I'm so, so grateful and, and, and how amazing this, like the Holy Spirit orchestrated this because this message while it's not specifically actually about the Holy Spirit, it works perfectly because what it is about is how we as the body of Christ need to be in order for the Holy Spirit to pour on us. We have to be in a certain environment for the Holy Spirit to say, yes, I'm gonna bless what's happening here. And I think what we're talking about today is a key, possibly even the key for us as a church to experiencing a radical move of God, like God, God's kingdom expanding radically through us. And I've been a part of a bunch of a lot of amazing churches, churches I'm so thankful for, but I've, I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating. I've never been a part of a church family quite like this. Like, I don't know if you can agree with me, but there is some spiritual momentum yeah. taking place yeah. here. I hope you can feel it because it's amazing. Like there is some spiritual momentum that we are entering into as the family of God. Uh, and it's amazing. I believe that God seriously wants to use us to change the world. I tell my students that every week, God wants to use you to change the world. And I believe that. I'm not talking about like just packing this place in with a lot of people. I'm talking about God bringing people here miraculously. Revival. That's what we've been talking about a lot. I believe that's for us. But I told my students this when I preached it, and I'll say it to you guys. I believe that this topic is either going to be our launch pad into a move of God, or it's gonna be a lid for us. It's either, gonna, if we get this right, this message, if we can get this topic right as a church, it's going to launch us into an amazing move of God. But if we don't get this right, it will cap us out. Do you remember when Pastor Josh talked about being under the flow of the Holy Spirit? If we don't get this right, it'll, it'll put a lid on the Holy Spirit flowing in us. And so I want to kick this off in Philippians chapter 2. This is not uh, the book of Acts where, we're gonna, where we've been in a lot this, this series. I'm going to get there, but I want to start off in Philippians chapter 2. This is going to give us a good foundation for what we're talking about today. Are y'all cool if we read some Bible in church? Yeah. Okay, eight verses. Let's do this. It says... Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy. This is Paul talking. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but, in, but take interest in others too. Look at this. This is a powerful statement right here. You must have the same attitude. Somebody say same attitude. <laughs> you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of himself equality with God as, some, as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself 
in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. All right, what am I talking about today? What's the topic that we got to get right? Well, if you're taking notes, the title of my message is One Accord, the Power of a Unified Church. One Accord, the Power of a Unified Church. Let's pray before we get into this. Father, I thank you so much for my church family. I thank you for New Song. And I sense, God, that you are taking us to deeper waters, that you are so ready to use us. You are ready to pour out your spirit on us in such a miraculous way. We sense it. We know that we're here called for a purpose. But God, we do not want to put a lid on what you're doing here. So Holy Spirit, I pray for soft hearts today. I pray for open minds. I pray that if there is disunity in our hearts, God, that we would get your heart for what unity looks like so we can come together one accord, one heart, one mind, the same attitude that Jesus had so we can see you pour out on us and use us in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. amen. Well, if you know my story, I grew up in church, um, and there was a season of my life, though, where my attitude towards church started to shift. It was around the eighth grade uh, my eighth grade year, I was in middle school. And at the time, my youth ministry was going through a lot of transitions. One of my favorite youth pastors at this church ended up leaving. I didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes. And so I just kind of was like, man, I don't know if this is my thing. And on top of that, all of my friends at church, we were all into like skateboarding and punk rock music and just being way too cool for school. Um, or in this case, we were way too cool for our youth ministry. And so I was just telling my mom on a weekly basis in eighth grade, like, I don't want to go to church. I'm too cool for church. Youth group's not for me. I skateboard, bro. And so I'm just too cool. I'm just too cool for church. And my mom, if you know her, she's amazing. Um, yeah, Mimi, watch out, y'all. She'll cut you. Um, my mom, she was not about this. She would not take no for an answer. In fact, my mom, she got to the point where she was like, and I want you to hear the tone in this. She's like, Jackson, you don't have to go to our church's youth group, but you will go to church. And I was like, oof, okay. She's like, you don't have to go to our church's youth group, but you are going to go to church if you live under this house. And so that led me to church hopping, and she allowed me to go try out some other youth groups in our city. I'm from Frisco, Texas, and so I start trying out these different youth groups, and some of them, I went to one, and all of the, this huge group of kids from my school went there, and so my mom is thinking like, oh, he's going to know all of these people there. Maybe that's the place for him. I go check out this youth ministry, and I was like, yeah, that's not for me. Like, just was, it didn't even feel like church. I was like, I don't know if that's where I want to be. Well, long story short, I get invited to a youth ministry party from a dude who I was on drumline with, which shout out to my band nerds. Um, and y'all know drumline's the, the, the coolest kids in band, right? So uh, I wasn't technically a band nerd. I was just associated with band nerds. But, uh, but uh, no, I was a band nerd for sure. But I get invited to go to this youth ministry. This kid on my drumline invited me to go. I go, I don't know a single person in this, in this church, but something felt right. Like I just felt at home. Um, and so I ended up wanting to stay. I told my mom like, hey, I think this is the youth ministry. I wanna, I wanna go here. 
And so my mom, she's obviously ecstatic that I finally have a church that I want to go to. So she's like, I should, I should probably check this church out, see if they're not crazy or anything. So maybe we can start going there. So she goes to this church on the weekend. And this is where my message is literally a part two to Pastor Josh's message. If you were there last week, Pastor Josh talked about how God had called him and Pastor Sarah out of Tulsa uh, to move to, to start working for this church in Texas. And if you were there last week, he talked about how not long after they start going here and serving and working for this church, some junk started to come out. And it, it came out that this, this head pastor was having multiple moral failures and the the church's finances were just an absolute wreck. The church is falling apart. And my family's first weekend there was the weekend they announced it to the congregation. <laughs> so I, I, I wasn't in the service. My mom told me about it later. But she said, you know, the, the elders come up to the front and they're like, welcome. Uh, if it's your first time, we're sorry. Um, <laughs> But we've got some family business to take care of. So they, you know, obviously they share the terrible news. And my mom is just crying because she's like, this is the one church Jackson likes. Are you kidding me? Uh, but just like what Pastor Josh talked about last week, do you remember when he talked about that piece? It just didn't make sense. Even though everything is crumbling, it was like, God's just, he's going to do something. Well, it was crazy. My mom felt that too. And we stayed at that church despite that news, and, and Gateway ended up taking over this church, turned it into a Gateway Church campus, and so instantly, we're this little church that's been absorbed into a 30,000-plus amazing church, um, and so it was amazing. I got to grow up in such an amazing, healthy church culture, and I'm so grateful for Gateway, uh, but even though our church was a mega church, the campus that I was a part of did not start off mega. We started off really humble. We had a group of just like 30 kids, me and some of my high school friends that were just, we were just on fire. Like we just wanted to go deeper. We wanted to know Jesus. We wanted to see God use us to change our schools, change the world. And it felt different going to Gateway students at Frisco. It felt different. It was a lot like how it feels to come here on the weekends or on a Wednesday night, you walk in and there's just life in the room. People are sold out for Jesus. It was amazing. In fact, one of the funniest things about Gateway Frisco uh, for, for our student ministry was on this side of the auditorium, all of the band nerds at Centennial High School, we all sat here. And on this side of our youth ministry, all of the jocks and the cheerleaders from Frisco High School sat there, which it honestly was amazing because in any other environment, like we would not be friends. Like, we would not hang out, but it didn't matter. Are you hearing me? It didn't matter when we were at Gateway Students in Frisco. Like, we were a family. We were unified. We were of one accord. We were, we were all under the same vision of Jesus, and it was amazing. We went from being one of the smallest uh, Gateway campuses of, like, running, like, 30, 40 kids every Wednesday to by the time I was graduating high school, there was, like, 200 kids every single Wednesday. It, it was amazing. And I say all that to say this, even though we were so tight, we were so close, we were a family, the closer we became a family, the more our unity got tested. The closer we got, the more our unity got tested. And what I want to make aware of to you today is that this is a pattern 
in church communities and families. They always start off really great. They start off close. You get deeper and deeper, but the closer you get, the more your unity gets tested, the more conflict starts to arise. And I want you to know there is nothing wrong with conflict. Like it's actually completely normal and okay for conflict to arise in a family. But what's not normal is when the family of God doesn't address conflicts. When we just sweep them under the rug. And in our youth ministry, we did this. We didn't practice the way of Jesus fully. We swept things under the rug. We, we sometimes chose sides and splits would happen. And it ended up being what I think was a lid on our influence. Peter Scazzaro says this, perhaps one of the most destructive myths alive in the, in the Christian community today is the belief that smoothing over a disagreement or sweeping it under the rug is part of what it means to follow Jesus. For this reason, churches, small groups, ministry teams, denominations, and communities continue to experience the pain of unresolved conflict. So we didn't deal with our stuff. And this tight family of students that I grew up being a part of, man, we didn't, we didn't necessarily make the splash we wanted to after college because we weren't unified. We weren't of one accord. Now, New Song Church, I say all of that to say this. God is doing a unique thing here. He's doing a unique thing here, but I want you to know that no church is invincible. There is no family of God that is invincible and we serve an, and we, we have an enemy who knows this. We have an enemy who knows that church families are not invincible. And so you know what he'll do? He'll come in and he'll start to sow disunity. He'll sow offense. He'll sow bitterness into your heart to try to get you to pick up something against a, a brother or a sister here. And then he'll get you to think that it's okay that you have that. It's okay, it's not that big of a deal if I just like keep the peace when we're all at church, if I just sweep it under the rug and like pretend like everything's okay, it's all right. But I'm here to tell you that this is the very thing that will kill a move of God. It'll kill a move of God. Why? Because unity is important to God. It's so important to God. In fact, I think if we as the church had God's heart for our unity, We would spend so much more time forgiving one another, having tough conversations than we ever had in a worship service. Like we would make more time for it if we knew God's heart for unity because unity is important to God. And when we look at the early church, you know, when we look at the early church, we see that they experienced moves of God. Would you agree? Like the Holy Spirit pouring out on them, crazy miracles. It's amazing. And we tend to look at that and think, okay, what can we take from there and apply to today so that we can have that too. And we tend to only pick out two things from the early church. We pick out, number one, that they prayed a lot. And so we're like, oh, cool. If we just pray more as a church, we're gonna see revival. And revival does come from prayer. Prayer is super important. We're a praying church here at New Song, but that's not everything. We also look at the fact that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we're like, okay, if we could just get every person in New Song, baptized of the Holy Spirit. We just start a fire tunnel down here and just bop, 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 bop. Then, then we're going to experience revival. And like, yeah, the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. 
But what we tend to gloss over is the fact that the early church was completely unified. They were of one accord. Look at this. I want to read you a couple verses about this. Acts chapter 4 says this. Now the full number, would you guys agree with me that full number means everybody? Okay, just making sure. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And great power was on the apostles. And they were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon some of them. Nope. Great grace was upon only the apostles because they're awesome. And everybody else is not as good as the apostles. No, 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 no. Great grace was upon all of them. Acts chapter 1, 14. Look, all of these were of one accord and they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Joseph and his brothers. I got one more for you. Acts chapter two. And all, somebody say all. all. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What's the common denominator with these three passages? All of them. Everybody. One heart, one mind, one accord. And I think like, this is awesome. We're like, yeah, okay, unity is important to God, but like, wouldn't it be nice if God could just understand that people are difficult? Like, wouldn't that be great if God could just understand that it's them, not me? Like, I'm good. That's, they're the crazy one. I didn't do anything wrong. They should come to me. Hello? We think this, right? And we're like, why is unity so important to God? Well, here's why. Jesus makes this so clear. Unity is God's will. It's God's will. Jesus says this in John 13, 35. Why is it God's will? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple. Pause. Jesus is about to tell us the reason why people are going to look at your life and know, oh, there's something different about that person. They're a disciple. Here's what it is. Here's the reason. If you love one another, think about this. People don't know you're a disciple because you post your Being Transformed Journal devotional on Instagram. People don't know you're a disciple because you have Joshua 25 in your house and it says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That'll, that'll tell people that you probably attend church regularly, but that doesn't tell people you're a disciple. We're talking about boldness this year and students. It's our vision for the whole year. I believe God is calling our students out of their comfort zone into some unapologetic walks with God, with boldness. And I've, I've been talking about boldness all year so far. Boldness is important, but boldness doesn't tell people that you're a disciple of Jesus. Just because you're bold doesn't mean somebody knows you're a disciple of Jesus. Because we can have a really bold church, but if we don't know how to love one another, if we aren't of one accord, this is a really bad picture to the world of who the body of Christ is. Because what is the church? Well, we're not just people. We're the body of Christ. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the church is not a religious community of worshipers of Christ, but Christ himself who has taken form among people. And I think one of the main reasons, a huge reason why people leave the church today is not necessarily because of like they lacked faith or it was deconstruction. I think one of the main reasons is because people, they stay in the church long enough and they recognize that the same hatred, the same gossip, the same judgment that's in the world is in the church. And like, what's the point of being a part of something that claims to be different, but in reality doesn't look any different? Why is this so important? Well, Rich Velotis says this. I love this quote. If the church is the body of Christ, we dare not cannibalize ourselves. When we devour each other through gossip, slander, uh, and condemnation, we sink our sharp teeth into the flesh of Christ, not in Eucharist worship, but in fleshly fallenness. So even though disunity is running rampant in the church today. It's not, you don't have to look very far to see disunity in the family of God. I say all of this because I actually believe complete unity is possible. I don't think Jesus would call us to do it if it was impossible. In fact, Jesus prays for our unity. In John chapter 17, this is his high priestly prayer. It's one of the longest prayers Jesus prays in scripture. And look at what he is praying for. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Listen to this one accord language. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us that the world may know that, or may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me and that they may be the ones, or that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. And this is the best part, look at this. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Why is this important? He tells us in the next verse. Then the world will know. When we are in complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. This is Jesus' longest prayer in scripture, and he's praying for our unity. He's praying for our unity. Why is this so important to God? Because the only three people in the entire universe who have ever walked in perfect unity are God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and you and I were created in that kind of image. So that means the way I love you, the way you love me, the way we love each other, the way we love our families is reflecting something. And it's either reflecting the image of perfect unity we see in the Trinity, or it's not. And it's painting a really bad picture of God to the world. And Jesus, I'm here to, I'm, I know I'm kind of coming down with us on the hammer, but Jesus wouldn't ask us for complete, to walk in complete unity if it was impossible. So how do we do it? Is it something that we just need to start praying for more often? Like, God, just give us unity. Give us unity. I wish that was the case. That would be so much easier if we could just pray for unity. But that's not how it works. A.W. Tozer says this, We pray, oh God, send us the Holy Spirit so that we'll be united. We might as well just repeat three blind mice. God does not hear that kind of prayer because there's no sense in it. 
The Holy Ghost did not come upon the disciples to unite them. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples because they were already united, being of one accord in one place. Scholars tell us that being of one accord is a musical term, meaning harmony. The early Christians were already one. Their harmony was with each other, and when they were, in, when they were together in one place. What, what I want you to see is that, man, it would be so amazing if we could just pray and God could zap unity into our communities. That would be awesome. If I could just, if like I'm, I'm having a disagreement with somebody, and I just start praying, and then it just dissolves. Man, that would be amazing. But that's not how it works. That's not how it works. In fact, Jesus, he lets us know how it works in Matthew chapter 5. And it's not easy. It says this, you've heard it said, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hellfire. I didn't write that, y'all. Jesus wrote that, okay? Jesus said that. To verse 23, look at this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. What is Jesus telling us? Unity takes you. Jesus is telling us unity is not on me. It's on you. It's not on Jesus. It's on us. It takes boldness. And think about the example Jesus gives us. This is so wild. Jesus doesn't say, if you're giving your gift at the altar and you sinned against somebody and you remember that, Jesus says, if you're giving your gift at the altar and you remember somebody else has something against you, God would rather you leave worship, go be in one accord, and come back and worship him. This is wild. This is God's heart for unity. What is Jesus telling us? You can't pray unity into us. Unity isn't born from prayer, but it is born from something. If you're taking notes, write this down. Unity is born from honor. It's born from honor. Romans 6.10 says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So what is honor? Honor is the recognition of the value, the contribution, and the importance of others. So practically, what does honor look like? Honor looks like Mother's Day. We got some moms in the house. Honor is, is us honoring our moms on Mother's Day. Hopefully we do that once, uh, like more than one day a year. But uh, we, we look our moms in the eye, we tell them, thank you. I recognize that you are of value to me. I recognize that you're important to me. I recognize that you've contributed to me. Does that make sense? Honor is something that I saw happen a couple weeks ago. I was watching the Cowboys game and the Buccaneers game. Rest in peace, Cowboys. Um, But I was watching this game, and one of the Buccaneers players, he got injured in the middle of the game. He's on the field for like over five minutes. He couldn't get up. And in a moment, this stadium full of thousands and thousands of people just went completely silent. Everybody's watching this player. The Cowboys, they're on their knees. They're taking their helmets off. What are they doing? They are honoring this player. 
They're, they're telling this player with their posture, I value you. I recognize that you are a person created in the image of God. You're not just a football player on a team. You're a person created in the image of God. I'm showing you honor. Does that make sense? Scripture in Romans 6 says we should outdo each other in showing that kind of posture. You know what that looks like when we come to New Song Church and we see our brothers and our sisters in the room? We should come into church every single weekend with this kind of attitude. We should walk into the lobby and say, I cannot believe I get to worship with you guys. We should walk in every weekend and say, I can't believe we're a part of the same family. This is crazy. Like, that's the kind of attitude that we should have towards everybody in the room. But let's be real, y'all. Sometimes we get petty. We get petty. We, we get all up in a funk about things that need to just be addressed. And we, cut, we pick up a fence with other people and we think, I mean, our church is growing really quick. They're just another church member. Like, we'll, uh, soon we'll get big enough to where it won't even matter anymore. Like, do you hear me? Like, we, we think, like, I can just brush this under the rug. I'll just keep the peace when we're in the same room. But I'm here to tell you today, that is not unity. And it doesn't lead us to unity. It's not one accord. And honor is amazing because when I look at you, when we look at each other with the lens of honor, what it reminds me, oh yeah, you're a person just like me. I know you're frustrating me right now, but you're a person just like me. You're created in the image of God just like me. You mess up just like me. Peter Scazzaro says this, for years I would observe unusually gifted people perform in extraordinary ways, whether in the arts, sports, leadership, politics, business, academics, parenting, or church. And I would wonder to myself if somehow they had escaped the brokenness that plagues the rest of us. Now I know they hadn't. We are all deeply flawed and broken. There are no exceptions. I know that's not an encouraging quote, but here's why that's encouraging to me. <laughs> Here's why that's encouraging. Because when I have honor as a lens in my life, that means I look at you and despite the fact that I might be justified in being mad at you, you might have done something that is, I'm completely justified to have an offense against you. What honor says is, oh, you're not perfect. Oh, that's right. You're still on a journey of being transformed just like me. You haven't arrived yet just like me. This is what honor does. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, no Christian should approach another Christian directly. They should all be mediated by Christ. You know what that means for us practically? That means as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, anything that I'm about to say to you as my brother or sister in Christ, whether that's in person, through a text message, maybe I'm talking about you, but you're not in the room. What that means is I am, I'm, I'm passing everything I say, and I'm saying, Jesus, do you approve of what I'm about to say? And if Jesus is mediating me and says no, guess what? It doesn't come out of my mouth, period. This is what honoring one another looks like. And I was telling my students this, you know, as guys, we tend to like, I know this isn't just a guy thing, but you know, we tend to be like sarcastic. We joke with one another. 
And we think like, well, Pastor Jackson, it's cool, bro. That's just how we talk. Like they know I'm joking, but how do you know? How do you know they took that as a joke or it didn't cut them and you don't know? Like this is what it looks like to be mediated by Christ. If Christ wouldn't say it through me, I shouldn't say it. What does honor look like practically here at New? So I want to give you six things really quickly. I'm preaching long, so I just want to run through these really quickly. Number one is this, avoid gossip, period. Number two, see Jesus in others. Number three, this is my favorite one, put a star by it. Speak directly to each other. And here's, a, here's something you can use as language. If somebody is approaching you, they're about to tell you something negative about a person who's not there, Here's what I like to do. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. don't tell me unless you plan on talking to them in person. Because right. if you're not going to tell them in person, there's no point in you telling me. Yeah. Number four is this. Assume the best. Yeah. Number five, remember whose team we're on. Yeah. We're on the same team. Yeah. And number six, don't try to be right. Try to understand. Yeah. Don't try to be right. Try to understand. And really quickly, I want to talk about what unity is not. We're talking about how we get unity. It's through honor. But what is unity not? Well, unity is not all of us being the same. That's called a cult. (laughs) Unity. (laughs) Unity is not, it's not you come in and we pump out these models that all look the same and we all talk the same. We all act the same. We're not trying to pump out NPCs here at New Song Church. No, unity is a bunch of different people with different personalities, conflicting personalities, different backgrounds, different church histories, all of that coming together for one purpose. That's what unity is. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, Where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chooses. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts. Somebody say many parts. There are many parts, but there is one body. This is what unity looks like. Unity is me and you getting to the point where we can honor and love each other despite our differences, and come under the same vision and move the body of Christ. Unity is also, this is a huge one, not achieved through avoiding conflict. Unity is not about brushing it under the rug. Unity is not about seeing something that I know is wrong, but but assuming the best in a way that I'm just not going to say anything. Unity is not avoiding conflict pretending that everything is just bunnies and roses and flowers all the time. Unity is doing something. It's protecting unity. You have to fight for unity. Unity must be protected. There's a story in scripture that we see this actually happen, and it is wild. It's in Galatians chapter 2, and in this story, you have the apostle Peter, and you have the apostle Paul. And Paul comes into this gathering of believers and sees Peter doing something hypocritical. And Paul walks in and he addresses it in front of the whole congregation. Like super awkward. And I want to read it to you real quick. Here's what it says. Galatians chapter two. It says, 
But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Paul is bold, y'all. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, what is happening here? Well, Peter is at a gathering of believers, and he's with Gentile believers. Now, at this point, Peter knows that Gentile believers are Christians, and he knows that they don't have to practice the Mosaic law. Because remember, he has that vision uh, with the four corners and the sheet comes down and they're animals and God's like, they're clean, it's all good, kill and eat. And so Peter knows, Peter knows that these Gentile Christians are 100% Christians. But then some Jewish Christians come in who still practice the law and Peter sees them come in and he allows his fear of man, he's afraid of what they're gonna think, cause him to separate himself from these believers. And he knows that it's wrong. So Paul walks in, he sees all this happening, and he addresses it. Now think about this. This is crazy. This is the apostle Peter. Like this is Peter after Pentecost. If this was Peter before Pentecost, that would make a lot of sense because Peter did some really dumb stuff before the Holy Spirit came. But this is Peter after the Holy Spirit came. He's he's had the 3,000-person altar call. Like Peter is the dude but he's, he's still just a dude. And Paul walks in, sees this happening, and he addresses it. And we can, walk, we can see this happening in scripture and we read it and think, dude, Paul is a jerk. Paul, you need to calm down, bro. You're causing a scene. But Paul is protecting unity here. And actually, I think Paul is honoring Peter by saying something to him. Because it would have been wrong for Paul to see Peter doing this and then to avoid it to not confront him. It would have been wrong for Paul to walk into this environment with this, this happening, this junk happening, and then him to go over to the Gentile believers and start gossiping about Peter. Can you believe what Peter is doing right now? That would be wrong. But Paul chooses to honor Peter and confront him in love. This is amazing. Unity, what I want you to see, has to be protected. It takes you and me. My question to you is, Are you doing this? Are you a person who is willing, even when it's uncomfortable, to protect unity? I've got three signs uh, that help us know, and this is kind of spicy, y'all. I'm just giving you a warning, okay? I I read this when I was writing that, and I was like, ooh, this is cutting me a little bit. But this is a, a list that our pastors gave us last year about signs that you know you're not protecting unity. Number one is this. You know you're not protecting unity if people feel comfortable talking negatively to you about others. If you see that's a pattern in your life where that happens a lot, guess what that means? You're not stopping it. Number two is this. You feel comfortable talking negatively about others. If you never get a check in your spirit where the Holy Spirit's like, "Eh, don't go there, that means you're not protecting unity. 
And number three is this. You feel comfortable talking to, you feel uncomfortable talking to the people who can actually help you. But unity, church, has to be protected. We don't want to do this stuff. Why? Because unity is important to God. Because unity, like Jesus tells us, is the thing that when we finally get right as a church, people are going to know, oh my gosh, these people are different. These are disciples of Christ. And finally, if you're taking notes, write this down as I get ready to close. Unity is critical to a move of God. It's critical for us to get right. If we want to see a move of God happen here in our midst, here at New Song. And here's why I think this is important. I don't think that New Song and us as a, as a church staff and pastors, I want you to know our heart. We're not trying to like tweak the church formula in order for a revival to take place. Like we're not thinking about, okay, what, what's the, the one thing that we can add so that we can see a move of God happen here. And we're just tweaking the church formula. Maybe it's our church graphics need to be a little better. Or maybe it's like if we can start midweek prayer every week, then we'll see revival. Or if we could just get people to finally read their Being Transformed journals, then we'll see revival. Like, that's not what it's about. We're not trying to tweak a church formula. But what we do recognize is that there is a pattern to moves of God. And when you look in scripture, when you look at the early church, you don't even have to look at scripture. You can look at moves of God. Historically, in the last 100, 200 years, there is a pattern for moves of God. And there was a revival that took place in Scotland called the Hebrides Revival. And this revival is crazy if you look into it. It happened in the middle of nowhere, Scotland, this little town called the Hebrides. And it shouldn't have happened. Like when you think of a revival taking place, you think like big city, lots of people. This was a hard to get to area, middle of nowhere, Scotland. But a revival bursted out that ended up turning into a hundred years of 24-7 prayer. Hundred years straight of prayer in the Hebrides. And it all started because these two 80-year-old ladies came to, their, came to their pastor in this little town, this little church, they came to their pastor and they had a burden. They said, pastor, we feel like God is telling us if we'll commit to prayer, if we'll commit to being a praying church, God is going to pour out his spirit on us in ways that we can't even imagine. And so this pastor was wise and he's like, okay, dope. We're going to start praying more. So they started, they started prayer meetings. That's right. That's right. Multi-generational church. That's how it's supposed to be y'all. So they start these prayer meetings and they pray and they pray and they pray. And this goes on for three months. Nothing happens. They're praying every day. Nothing happens. And then one night, this is the night the revival broke out. Uh, a young deacon comes up to the front of the gathering and he has Psalm 24 on his heart. He reads this to the church. He says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and receive from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation who will seek him, who will seek the face of the God of Jacob. So he reads this passage to the church 
And with a burden inside of him, he says this to the church. He says, it seems to me so much humbug, which we need to bring that word back, y'all. 2023, humbug is coming back into our vocabulary. (laughs) But he says, it seems to me so much humbug to be waiting as we're waiting, to be praying as we're praying when we ourselves are not relating to God rightly. Then he lifted up his hands towards heaven and prayed, Oh God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And when you study this, everybody who was a part of this revival will tell you this was the night that it broke out. Revival broke out and it was the night when this prayer meeting turned from them saying, God, give us revival to I'm sorry. I'm confessing my sins to my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Will you forgive me? What I want you to see happen is that this church chose to be of one heart, of one mind, one accord with each other. And this is how the revival at the Hebrides started. And what I I say all that to say this, church, I believe New Song, I believe God wants to do something like that here. And I hope you do too. But my invitation to us this weekend to be used by the Holy Spirit in that kind of way is the same as that young deacon at that prayer meeting. Are my hands clean? Are your hands clean? Is your heart pure? Are you walking in one accord with one another? Or is there disunity? Have you you picked up bitterness and offense? I hate to break it to you, but God cares about that stuff. He does. He wants us to be one. And my question to you is that, man, if if, if you hear that and your answer is no, I'm not, that's okay. We've all been there. We're all going to be there in the future again. But what we're gonna do about it is what matters. The, the invitation for us today is let's get right today. Let's be one accord today. I wanna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we get ready to close. And my, my, my challenge to you, my invitation for you to respond to this message is really simple. And what I love about a message like this is it, It touches every single one of us, myself included. The way we love one another matters. The way we operate as a church family is critical to a move of God. And so my invitation to you church today is, what do you need to do to protect unity? What do you need to reconcile? Maybe today, you're thinking about it in your head. The Holy Spirit's bringing this person to your mind. And there is a, there's a text message you need to write up today. You need to humble yourself. And there's a text you need to write up to this person. Maybe if you would be so bold, there's a person in this church today and there's a conversation that you have been avoiding and there, it needs to happen Maybe for you, there's, a, there's an apology you need to ask for. There's, a, there's some forgiveness you need to give. Whatever that looks like, I don't know what that looks like, like for you, but my encouragement to you is it is worth it. It's worth it for us to be pure and clean and of one accord because that is what the Holy Spirit wants to bless. So my question to you and that I want you to ask the Holy Spirit is so simple. Holy Spirit, what do I need to do with this? How do I need to act? How do I need to respond? Is it a conversation? Is it to forgive? What does it look like for me to walk in unity in a way that reflects the Trinity of God?
I wanna invite my altar ministry leaders to make their way down to the front. You guys can stand to your feet. And this time of the service is not a time to check out. This is actually a time, like we say, to respond. And so if you're here today and you know that you need to respond to this message, man, this is the invitation for you. Come down to the altar. We would love to pray that God would give you the boldness you need to walk out unity with brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you have a prayer need of any kind, Maybe it doesn't relate to the message. Maybe you need healing. Whatever it takes, man, we would love to pray with you, but definitely move on this message, church. Move on this message. It takes you. The Holy Spirit's not gonna do it for you, but he is calling you to do it and you can do it. We can walk in complete unity, church. The altar ministry team is open as long as you need. Would you raise your hands with me as we get ready to respond? Father, we love you. We worship you. I thank you so much for New Song and that you have called us to walk in unity, complete unity. God, help us to take this message, to obey, to walk in boldness and to walk in complete unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. For more information on our church or for more resources to help you grow in your faith, Go to newsongpeople.com or download our app by searching for New Song Church OKC in the App Store.